Canby New Life Foursquare Church welcomes you. We're located at 2350 Southeast Territorial Road, just off Highway 99E. We hope the following message will be a blessing to you. Well, good morning. It is, uh, it is so good to see you on this beautiful day. It's good to be with friends and family, isn't it? I love this. I enjoyed Easter. I hope you enjoyed Easter as well. I want to take just a few moments and share with you my Easter experience. And that uh, there were a few days prior to Easter that, that I just didn't sense the joy of the Lord in my life. And, and, uh, and I had to ask myself why. I had to be honest with that. And I realized that what we do often as pastors and staff is we're just getting ready and trying to take care of all the logistics and the work that, that's required to, uh, to host the people for Easter, for, to host you and other families. And we want to do a, a real good job with that. But, um, but I just didn't sense that joy. And I, I stopped and I said, Lord, would you, if, if, would you just have a breakthrough of joy in my life that, that I can make that choice to, to rejoice in the Lord and enjoy his resurrection? And uh, there was, there was just a huge, huge breakthrough for me. And it was so good to come into those services that we had and just enjoy the presence of the Lord and to enjoy the presence uh, of each other. And I want to, I want to do this. I I want you to be praying uh, for those uh, 49 new members of God's family that, that received Jesus on Easter weekend. I want you to, uh, to pray that God would raise a godly standard in their life, that they would have a passion and a desire to follow Jesus Christ, that out of that group there'll be missionaries and pastors and good fathers, good mothers, good sons, good daughters. And oftentimes what we do, I know I have a tendency to do this, is to kind of just get one thing done, do an event, and just move on to the next. And I don't want to do that today. What I want to do in just a moment is, is pray for, for those that have just recently received Jesus as their Lord and Savior, and that we would be a place uh, that could embrace, a place that would have a, a culture, an environment that would um, cause them to continue, to inspire them to continue to grow in Jesus Christ. Can you do that and that you would take that responsibility and you would say, yes, I'm going to determine in my own heart uh, that, that, that this community and my part in this community is going to receive those to make disciples of Jesus Christ. And we do that with our hospitality. We, we do that with our smiles, our handshakes. We do that uh, by getting out of our own comfort zones. And uh, we reach out. And let's continue to let God just touch our lives. Let's reach out uh, to those that come into the faith and want to follow Jesus. In that weekend, it was such a joy to see those almost 30 people who were baptized in water and to literally see them just physically change while they're being baptized was an encouragement to my heart, a huge encouragement to my heart. I went up to meet them as they got ready to come down for water baptism, and I, and I introduced myself. I talked to a few. I, I, I told one lady I was so proud of her decision to be baptized in water. She had just received Jesus Christ just a few weeks before, and I said, I'm so proud of you and I'm so happy that you're making this this decision to be baptized in water and she she just looked at me and she goes you told me to you you told me that I needed to get into a life group you told me I needed to be baptized in water you told me that I needed to be a disciple of Jesus Christ and friends I cannot tell you how refreshing that was to my soul to hear people just without question just say I want to be obedient with 
to Jesus Christ and not try to justify and procrastinate, but just say, I want, I just want to follow Jesus. Just tell me how to follow Jesus. And I want to be that way because that's the lesson I learned. When I was listening to her talk to me, I thought, God, let me be like that. Just let me follow you with this obedience. Let me follow you with this passion. Um, And I want to to do that. I, I hope you do as well. We also celebrated water baptism with one woman who, um, the day she was baptized, uh, she celebrated her six month of sobriety, and I and I was so, I was so excited to see uh, lives changed. Uh, I also baptized a few kids that I coached in football, so that's fun too. Uh, but to see lives changed, and that's really what we're what we are about. We want to see Jesus change lives. Let's keep the main thing the main thing. And the main thing is being a follower of Jesus Christ, a passionate, wholehearted follower of Jesus Christ. I I left Sunday. I was jumped in my car after the 11 o'clock service. I I started out uh, to my house, and I took this quick right-hand turn. It was almost like someone took uh, took the wheel and turned. And I came into the parking lot, and I, I just wanted to thank the Lord for what he had done and how he had changed people's lives. I just didn't want to rush off. Because really, part of joy is gratitude, isn't it? It is being thankful and taking the time to be thankful for what God has done in our lives, what he's done in our community, what he's done in our family. And I, I just was driving through the parking lot saying, Lord, thank you. Uh, thank you. And would you raise up those souls? Would you touch those people who were baptized in water? Would you do a transforming work in all of our lives? And uh, I circled back over here in the, the back parking lot, and I was headed to this, to this building just to come out. And I was looking at this building. I put my head down. I prayed. And I looked back up, and I saw something that I don't normally see. In fact, I can't say that I've uh, seen this very often, but what I saw was I saw tongues of fire on each corner of our building. And, um, and I, you know, I put my head back down again and kind of, you know, squinched my eyes. And, and I looked back up and I said, Lord, is this you? And the Lord said, absolutely, absolutely. Uh, being the wholehearted follower of Jesus I am, I said, are you sure that this is you? And the Lord said, this is me. And I think what the Lord was communicating to me was that that fire all through scripture represents his abiding presence and power. And that what we need today is his abiding presence and power in, in all of our lives. You know, I, I didn't try to forecast what was going to happen. I didn't try to define what I was seeing. I just wanted to embrace it and enjoy what God is doing in our lives, that he is changing our lives and it's for eternity. And let's rejoice in that. Let's have a joy in what God has done for us. Can you say amen to that? I want you to do something. I don't know I ask you to do this very much, but take the hands of the people that are next to you, and we're going to join together as one uh, to pray for those who have recently come to Christ, for those that were baptized, that their life will continue to change, the passion will grow deeper, to follow Jesus as their Lord and Savior. Father, I, I want to take just a moment here and just, just repent of any time that I have failed to be thankful, to be grateful for the marvelous, eternal work that you do in our lives. And Lord, what we want to do right now is have our hearts full of gratitude and rejoice in your salvation. Uh, To rejoice in changed lives. That you are a redeeming God. That you've redeemed us. And let us not hold back the redemption that you've given to us. Let us share it with others. 
Let our circle be open so that others would be embraced, that they would follow you, and they would enjoy a life forgiven of sin, a life that they know is going to be eternal with you. Lord, I pray for those that receive Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior and the, 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 the things that they are walking through, that they are our family. You have brought them into our family. Let us be responsible. Let us be loving. Let us be caring. Let us nurture and encourage those to follow you. Bless them and bless their families, Lord Jesus. I just pray from what took place in their hearts uh, and our hearts on Easter weekend would not only change us, but it would have this wonderful Holy Spirit ripple effect that it would change other family members and friends and workplaces. Lord, we believe in you. We trust in your abiding presence, your abiding power. And Lord, we need that today for those that were baptized, that took that step of faith to follow you, that they would be encouraged, that you would keep them from all harm seen and unseen, that the mighty work of God would be real and evident in their life. Lord, we pray for your touch. We need you today. We need your help. Bless us today. In Jesus' name we pray and all of us say together, amen, amen. Well, what I want to do today is I want to send you on a bit. Yeah, let's applaud the Lord. Thank you. What I want to do today is go on a little treasure hunt. So what I'm going to ask you to do is open your Bible to Philemon. Now, we have Bibles around. If you didn't bring your Bible, they're right here. I just want you to go on this little exercise. They're around uh, the seats, underneath the seats around you. And I want you to go on this little treasure hunt for the book of Philemon without looking into the table of contents, please. Because, uh, good, good, good for you. You found it. You're the first to find that. Good. I want you to go and just take some time and find uh, the book of Philemon. While you do that, I want to give you a different way of defining the gospel. And it may be in a way that, that you've never heard before. And it's like this. It's the advantaged helping the disadvantaged. Because isn't that what Jesus did for you? Isn't that what Jesus did for me? Uh, we were burdened with sin. We were broken. We were too weak to help ourselves. We didn't have the, the strength that it took to really get close to God. And Paul in Romans chapter 5 verse 8 says that. He says, but God demonstrated his own love to us in this way. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Other translations say that while we were still his enemy, while we were still at odds with God, he died for us. We were a long way away. We had no way of of getting access to salvation. And God looked at us and he said, uh, I want to love you. And I want to show you my love through my son, Jesus Christ. The Apostle Paul says in another place, in Ephesians chapter 2, verses 4 and 5 and verse 13. He says, but because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace that you have been saved. But now, in Christ Jesus, you who once were far away have been brought near by the blood of Jesus. You see, we were, we were a long way from God. And, uh, and, and God sent his son, Jesus Christ, to draw us close to our Father in heaven. In the message version, I love what it says here in the message version, Paul tells us how Jesus used his advantage to help all of us who were disadvantaged. It reads like this. It says, think of yourselves the way Christ Jesus thought of himself. 
that he had equal status with God, but did not think so much of himself that he had to cling to the advantages of that status no matter what. Not at all. When the time came, he set aside the privileges of deity and he took on the status of a slave, became human. Having become human, he stayed human. It was an incredibly humbling process. He didn't claim special privileges. Instead, he lived a selfless, obedient life and then he died a selfless, obedient death and the worst kind of death at that. A crucifixion. And what this tells me is it's modeling something for all of us. In fact, Paul starts that off by telling us to have the same mind. To live the same way. That whatever advantages you've been given, don't hold on to those advantages to promote yourself. Your own agenda. But to give those advantages to others. Help those that are disadvantaged where you are advantaged. That really is the, the essence of the gospel of Jesus Christ. That he came when we couldn't help ourselves and he gave to us his advantage so we could know that we can know we can know our father in heaven. You see, Jesus used his advantage to benefit us in a way that that God gave us favor, that he that, that he's brought us into his family. In the gospel of Luke, Jesus defines what the gospel looks like in action. That the first declaration that Jesus makes is really from the prophet Isaiah chapter 61. He steps onto the scene and he says these words. He says, the spirit of the Lord is on me because he's anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind. To set the oppressed free to proclaim the year uh, of the Lord's favor. Favor is just another way of saying advantage. Uh, Benefit is another way to say advantage. And what he's saying here is he's proclaiming that God has given us an advantage in Jesus Christ and that what we do to make that gospel complete, to make the power of the good news really work, is it needs to be given to others, that we need to share our advantage with the communities that we're part of in the relationships that we have. How many have found Philemon? Have you found Philemon yet? Okay. Yeah, it's a hard one to find. It really is. Uh, it takes a while. It's between Titus and Hebrews. It's, it's actually one of my favorite chapters in the Bible. It wasn't easy to locate. I know that because I've tried to do that, and it's always hard to find. But this is probably why Philemon is one of the least read books in the Bible. The book of Philemon um, consists of only 25 verses, which makes it the third shortest book in the Bible. And it's the only letter that, that Paul wrote to a specific individual. You'll notice all the other epistles and the letters that Paul writes. He writes to a group of people, to a community, to a body of people. And this is the only letter that we have recorded of the Apostle Paul writing to a particular person, an individual named Philemon. Now, Philemon and Paul had some history together. They had some background together. They, they knew each other. And the reason they knew each other is because Paul went to Colossia and he planted a, a small church there. And then when he left and and went on his journeys and and then ended up in prison, Philemon became the house pastor. 
he was now the leader. Philemon was a, probably an aristocrat. He had a lot of money, but he had this conversion in Jesus that he was a Christ follower. And now he is the pastor, the overseer of the church of Colossia. And so Paul feels uh, an open door. Uh, he feels an opportunity here to speak into Philemon's life. And that's really what the book of Philemon is about. It's Paul taking the advantage that he had and he is using it to help someone else, and that someone else is a runaway slave named Onismus. Onismus means useful. And uh, so what it, it tells us the story that before Christ he was useless, and after Christ he is useful. Uh, he takes in Onismus, and where he, he, he discipled him was the most unlikely place you could probably think of discipling someone, and it was in prison. Uh, for some reasons that we don't know of, uh, uh, Onismus ends up in prison and encounters the Apostle Paul. And what does the Apostle Paul do? He does what he does. He makes disciples. And so he leads this runaway slave to Jesus Christ. They apparently have some time together because he grows him up in the faith. He spends time with him. <clears throat> and it's amazing because during that day, the way that people would see in the, in the Roman Empire, the way they would look at at slaves was subhuman. They didn't even consider them to be a man or a woman. They, they were just simply nothing. And a runaway slave, if you can get worse than a slave, is worse than a slave. Um, they, they, they face so much peril because a runaway slave, and under the law of the Roman Empire, a runaway slave, if caught, uh, can be flogged and beaten severely and thrown in prison. But it was even legal at that time to to execute them on the spot, uh, to resell them and make a profit. And so here we have Onismus who has run from the aristocrat Philemon. He's caught, he's thrown in prison. Paul leads him to Christ and what he does in the book of Philemon is probably one of the most touching things that, that I think anyone can do to express the gospel in action. He wants his friend Philemon and now his friend Onismus to be reconciled. He wants them to come together. And what Paul does is he does this amazing thing. He leverages his own advantage for the disadvantage to his Onismus. Onismus has virtually no advantage in this society, none whatsoever, none. And Paul steps in, he advocates, and he begins to reconcile. And the letter of Philemon is a beautiful picture of reconciliation. In fact, the early abolitionists used Philemon as a guide uh, to help them process and um, work on behalf of, of slaves during the uh, 1840s, 50s, and 60s. To reconcile. And that is really the nature of, of, of the gospel. So it's this personal letter that, that Paul does something for us. He models something. He influences someone else. And our question today is this. How can you use uh, your advantage to help others? Because you all have an advantage, whether you recognize it or not. Today, when you leave this room, I hope you recognize that you have some advantages. You may be even saying to yourself, I'm the most disadvantaged person that ever walked the planet. You may, you may feel that way right now, but I hope you're encouraged before we end today as we identify the different advantages that we really do have and you find a way to use your advantage to help someone who is disadvantaged. That God would just inspire you. He would help you. And what I want to do is, 
is I want to look at what, what it tells us here in the book of Philemon. And if you have found the book of Philemon, good. There, there, I was going to try to get a prize for you, but I don't have one. Just feel good about yourself because you found it. And I want to read this, uh, 25 verses to you. And, and I want you, I really want you to uh, put yourself here. I want you to hear this beautiful letter. I don't want you to look at it necessarily in a theological perspective or uh, something that we're going to do to pull apart. I want you to hear the body and the heart and the spirit of the Apostle Paul. Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus, and Timothy, our brother, to Philemon, our dear friend and fellow worker, also to Apphia, our sister, and Archippus, our fellow soldier, and to the church that meets in your home. Grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I always thank my God as I remember you in my prayers. Because I hear about your love for all of his holy people and your faith in the Lord Jesus. I pray that your partnership with us in faith may be effective in deepening your understanding of every good thing that we share for the sake of Christ. Your love has given me great joy and encouragement because you, brother, have refreshed the hearts of the Lord's people. Therefore... Although in Christ I could be bold and order you to do what you ought to do, yet I prefer to appeal to you on the basis of love. It is as none other than Paul, an old man and now also a prisoner of Jesus Christ, that I appeal to you for my son Onesimus, who became my son while I was in chains. Formerly he was useless to you, but now he has become useful both to you and to me. I'm, I'm sending him, who is my very heart, back to you. I would have liked to have, uh, keep him. I want to keep him with me so that he could take your place in helping me while I'm in chains for the gospel. But I did not want to do anything without your consent so that any favor that you would, um, that you would do would not seem forced but would be voluntary. Perhaps the reason he was separated from you for a little while was that you might have him back forever. No longer as a slave, but better than a slave, as a dear brother. He's very dear to me, but even dearer to you, both as a fellow man and as a brother in the Lord. So if you consider me a partner, welcome him as you would welcome me. And if he's done, if he's done you any wrong or owes you anything... Charge it to me. I, Paul, am writing this with my own hand. I will pay it back. Not to mention that you owe me your very self. I do wish, brother, that I may have some benefit from you in the Lord. Refresh my heart in Christ. Confident of your obedience, I write to you, knowing that you will do even more than I ask. And one thing more, prepare a guest room for me because I hope to restore to you, to be restored to you an answer to your prayers. Epaphras, uh, my fellow prisoner in Christ Jesus, sends you greetings. And so do Mark and Aristarchus, Demas, Luke, my fellow workers. Um, the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ uh, be with your spirit. Isn't that a beautiful letter? It's a beautiful letter that works on behalf of the disadvantaged here. It's a very profound letter. It's a very personal letter 
Paul models for us how we can use our influence, our advantage to benefit others. And so, again, our question is, how do we use that advantage to help those around us? And remember, all of us have some sort of advantage. What I want to do is uh, break down our advantages into five categories. And when sociologists study this and when uh, people that study families and influence and work, they've identified these five categories are categories of influence. They're categories that we can influence others through and by. And so what I want to talk to you about is those five categories. And so I hope what happens is it helps you identify the areas that you can help others, that it raises your awareness to be able to say, yes, I, I see that. I have that, that gift. I have that advantage. I have that experience. And I'm going to not keep it for myself, but I'm going to share it with others. I'm going to help others as the Apostle Paul helped the runaway slave Onesimus. So here it is. Number one is, a relational advantage, that I can influence others uh, because of my relationship and their relationship with me. Deep friendship where, where transparency and trust are the bedrock of that relationship. That this doesn't carry with it a title, it doesn't carry with it resources, it doesn't carry with it all those other things that you think we have to have in order for us to influence those around us. Those are important things, we'll talk a little bit about that. But this is just strictly based on relational equity. Uh, the trust and the transparency and the depth of relationship that, that I have with someone else. And because of that, they can speak profoundly into my life. It's a relational influence or it's a relational advantage that we exchange with one another. And I hope you have some of those relationships. I hope you have people like that in your life that when they, when they speak, when they, when they share, when they bring wisdom to you, you, you listen, your ears wide open, your heart ready to receive. Examples of those kinds of relationships, I think the first, probably the most important for sure, is our, our marriage relationship. Um, that, that Annette and I have a relationship, and it's out of that relationship that she can speak profoundly into my life. And that when she speaks, I, I, I listen most of the time. I really listen. I try to. But what I want to do is take what she's saying, and I want to take it to heart, and I want that to influence my life. Because God, apparently, in, this, in, in a situation where we're sharing with one another, God's giving her some insight, a prophetic word. She has a, a relational equi- equity with me. And when she shares that with me, she's sharing her advantage with me. She's sharing what she sees. She's sharing what she recognizes about me and my circumstance, my life. And, and isn't it true that in relationship, any longstanding relationship, any deep relationship, there's always the give and take of forgiveness. That you can be sure that, that there's going to be offense. You, you just, um, you just can't, you can't, you can't ignore it. You can't get by it. It's going to be there. Uh, when I tell young couples before they get married, they come into my office, they're just big, wide-eyed, they're excited. Um, they can't wait for the honeymoon, you know, all those kinds of things. And I say to them, let me tell you the biggest thing, the greatest thing that you can offer each other in your relationship. You know, and their mind is somewhere else. You know, it's not. And, 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 and I say to them, the greatest thing that you can have existing in your marriage is the spirit of forgiveness. That is the greatest gift that you can offer one another. 
Because there are going to be times one will be at a disadvantage, the other will be at an advantage. And what that person does with that advantage because they've been offended by the other is huge. They can take that advantage, they can harbor bitterness, resentment, or they can take the advantage because they've been offended and they can offer forgiveness. That is huge. That's relational advantage. That's a relational that's a relational influence. Paul says as much in verse 20 in Philemon. And I love what he says here in, in, in verse 20. He says, I do wish, brother, that I may have some benefit or advantage from you in the Lord. Refresh my heart in Christ. What he's saying is, uh, Philemon, we're brothers, man. We, we've been around the block together. We have a relationship that goes way back. It's deep. And I'm just asking you as my brother. That, that you would do something here. I'm using the advantage of brotherhood, friendship, relationship to help someone who is at disadvantage, who, who doesn't have the advantage. And the second is this, when we talk about categories of influence, of advantage, is spiritual advantage. And this has to do, really, I, I believe this, it has to do with spiritual authority. We don't even really mention or say the word authority much in church anymore. Uh, That doesn't mean it doesn't exist, and that doesn't mean it shouldn't exist. It just means we don't talk about it much because we always see it as a bad thing. But spiritual authority is an amazing thing. In fact, of all the influences and benefits that you can bring, I think it's spiritual authority because that's what Jesus modeled. That's what you see in the life of the Apostle Paul. Uh, isn't it true that what was said about Jesus when, uh, when uh, the, quote, advantaged of society, of religion, looked at him and they said, who is this guy? I mean, my goodness, who is he? I mean, he's uneducated. He hasn't gone through the same schools we've gone through. He hasn't gone through the same political process we've gone through. He doesn't have any money. I mean, who is he? He's a Nazarene from Galilee, which, by the way, was an offensive term because what they were saying about Jesus is, who is this hillbilly? Who is he? He's a nobody. And yet, even the demons obey. Well, what did he have? He had something. What he had was spiritual authority. And listen, spiritual authority is never self-obtained. It's relationally gained through your Father in heaven. It's the time you spend with God. It's the time you spend getting to know your Father in heaven. It's the time that you devote to that, that that is a passion in your life. And that comes, what comes from that, the result of that, the fruit of that, is really its spiritual authority. Now, Paul has that in Philemon's life. Uh, Paul is, as you can see here, he's, he's older, he's in chains. He has some serious spiritual clout because he followed the model of Christ, that he endeavored through his whole life to get to know God through Jesus Christ and have that relationship grow. And so he has that. In verse 8, he, he says this to him. He says, Therefore, although in Christ I could be bold and order you to do what I ought, you ought to do. What he's saying is I could do this. I have the authority to do this. That, that's the kind of cloud I have. <clears throat> but then he goes on and says, I'm not going to approach it that way. I have that. In my life. So it helps us recognize that Paul is a man with spiritual authority, and people understood that. People knew that about the Apostle Paul, and especially Philemon. And so we've been given spiritual authority in Jesus. That spiritual authority in the name of Jesus is something that that, that God has given us, but it comes through your walk with Him. 
That's the way, that's the, listen, that's the only way you access that. It's not by all the busy work, and even if it's kingdom work, and even if it's good work, it's that, that the spiritual authority that we have um, comes because of our relationship with our Father in heaven. Jesus said that as well toward the end of his life. He said, you know, it's not my will. It's not my will, but your will be done. Father, I'm here. I do only do what I see you do. That, that we have this relationship. And it's that which gave him spiritual authority. And the third kind of advantage or influence that we can talk about is, uh, is experiential advantage. And you're thinking to yourself, I mean, what does experiential advantage really mean? Well, Paul says this in verse 9, and this is on, going on from verse 8, yet I prefer to appeal to you on the basis of love. As it, it is as none other than Paul, an old man, and now also a prisoner of, of Christ Jesus. You know what he's saying there? He goes, uh, bro, I've experienced everything that you could imagine. And, and the term old man is, is not a term... Um, uh, that, that it would be derogatory like it might even be today, and that's a sad thing. The, the term there that he's using there is he's saying, I'm a seasoned, experienced elder. That's really what the term meant back then. I'm a seasoned, experienced elder. And that Paul is saying that I have this experiential advantage, that, that I, I've experienced almost anything that you you can think of. I've been shipwrecked. I've been beaten. I've been bitten by a snake. I've been, I've been and he, you go, I've been thrown in prison. I've, all these things. And so when he's speaking to Philemon, I'm certain that Philemon's ears were open and recognized the experiential advantage that the Apostle Paul had. Again, what is he doing? He's using that advantage to help a runaway slave, Onesimus. Always remember that he's not doing this for himself. When he says these things, He's not doing them for himself. And so we have this experience. And so what is yours? You know, this has to do with the power of your story. Um, the experience of your life. What has God done in you? And the testimony he's given you. That's huge. And yet that's the thing that we usually shut down immediately. We, 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 we convince ourselves to think, well, this really won't have... Uh, an influence on someone else. This won't really help anyone else get an advantage. And when you think that way, you're absolutely wrong. It, it is the power of your story, the power of your experience that can make a difference in the world that you live in, the people that you relate with and you spend time with. And that can be used. You can, you can take your lessons. You can take your skills, the giftings that God has given you to help others that are disadvantaged. What gifting do you have? What skill do you have? I know there are many of you that, that have these wonderful skills and these wonderful gifts uh, that, that you are sharing with others. But there may be some here that are gifted and skilled in certain areas and you're, you're only keeping those gifts and skills to promote yourself. You're not helping anyone else with those gifts and skills that you have. The Apostle Paul, through this, really encourages us to take whatever those gifting and skills that we have, those experiences that we have, to help those that are disadvantaged. And that you would be aware, alert to that. I want to just take one second in this area of experiential advantage. And I want to uh, speak to my friends in recovery. 
Uh, One of your mottos is this. One of ours is this. Experience, strength, and hope. That what we offer those that are around us is our experience, our strength, and our hope. And, and some of you may have only been in recovery for, for, for three days, but you can help the person who's only been in recovery for one day. There's always an advantage. There's always a way to influence. There's always a way to reach back. There's always a way to help. And it's you, through your experience, it's through your strength, and it's through your hope that you help others. Don't keep your advantage to yourself. Help those around you. Number four is this. It's positional advantage. In uh, verse 17, we can see Paul doing something here, which um, which is, actually 17, 18, and 19, but uh, he he says this. I'm going to go to verse 19. I am writing this with my own hand. I will pay it back. Not to mention that you owe me your very self. You kind of laughed at that. What is he doing there? He's leveraging something. He's actually, he's leveraging something. He has a, he has a title. Um, he, has a, he has a position. It's apostolic. And, and, you know, there are many of you in this room that God has given you a title. I mean, he's given, he's given you a, a positional authority. You might be a business owner. You might be a, a CEO. You might be a manager. You might be, uh, you, there, the list goes on, a teacher, a coach, whatever that might look like. But that's how you're labeled. That's your title. That's your position. That when you walk into the room that, or, or the ball field or wherever, people call you that. Um, I helped Jason coach a football team this last fall. And I got a great sweatshirt that says coach on the back. That's, that's what I was called because that was the position I held. The question is, is how do I use my position um, t- of coaching to influence Others, not just in the skills of football, but how do I influence them to gain skills in life? Gentlemen, ladies, you've been given some position. How do you use that position to help others gain an advantage? How do you use it? And I think this is probably where corporate America looks the most selfish and and is. Um, This is probably where people of position have... Uh, we've seen entitlement, we've seen all those kinds of things, and yet God, the Bible says, none of us are in the positions we're in because we're so good and great. God appoints us. God puts us in those places. How do you use your positional advantage to help those around you? There's one more. Uh, We don't see it necessarily in uh, Philemon. We do see it in Philippians chapter 3, where Paul speaks of his education. You know, he talks about, uh, hey, I'm, you know, I'm a Fer- I was a Pharisee of Pharisees uh, from the tribe of Benjamin. I mean, I, I have an education. But he chose not to use that education to benefit himself, which the system would promote that, the system he would have been in as a Pharisee or a Sadducee. What he decided to do was saying, I'm going to take this education, I'm going to take what, what I've learned, the disciplines, and I'm going to get letters out, and those letters are going to touch Canby New Life Foursquare Church 2,000 years later. That's the decision he made. He made that decision to help you get an advantage. And so there is... An educational advantage. Many of you have, you know, you've gotten your bachelor's degree. You've gone on and got a master's or a, or a PhD. And those are, are, are things that are so important in, in life for, 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 for the reasons they are. How do you use that to help others? 
Not just to make a living. Not, not just to get something for yourself. See, that's not helping someone who's disadvantaged. How do you use the education you've been given to help those who are educationally at a disadvantage? How do you do that? This is, this is about community. This is about helping people around us. I had a mother uh, send me a, a letter. And, uh, and I want to I read you parts of, of this letter. Um, She's, she's involved in, in the Canby School District, and she's, um, she's helping in a Spanish-English class. And um, she writes this. She says, on a scale of 1 to 5, these are actual tests that have been taken, on a scale of 1 to 5, mainstream kids score a 3 in all of subject areas. On the same scale, minority, economically disadvantaged, and special needs students score a 1 in all subject areas. Minority and economically disadvantaged students had a graduation rate of 74% at Canby High School. Regular educated students have a graduation rate of 94%. That's a huge discrepancy. Huge. And she goes on and she says, New Life is such a loving and, and giving church, and I know that if our church was aware of the problem, we would have many volunteers for tutoring using their education or teaching, using your educational advantage, teaching classes or people willing to donate to the funds for the necessary technology. This is such a precious issue to me. I volunteer and I teach a Spanish-English class Thursdays, and the mothers in that class say they participate because, quote, they want to talk with their children's teachers. Seems basic, doesn't it? Seems something that we would take for granted. She goes on and she says, "We're all mothers trying to do the best that, and be the best for and do be the best for our children. As a mother, I cannot imagine the heartache of wanting so much for my children and not knowing how to help them achieve it." And then she wrote this last line: "Maybe you can lend your voice to helping all can be kids." And that's what I'm doing. There are people that are disadvantaged. How do you use your advantage to help them? Not keeping it to yourself, not promoting yourself. You see, the power of the gospel given to you is the advantage to help others who are disadvantaged. Remember Onesimus? Useful. He was once considered useless. Take your advantage, whatever that might be, wherever you are, all of you in this room have an advantage and help those who are disadvantaged. Would you bow your head with me? Father, we want to thank you today for what you have done in our lives and how you have shaped us and you have given us the wonderful gift of the gospel of Jesus Christ a gift that oftentimes we don't recognize changes us. And after a while, it's only about the changes in us. It's only about benefiting us. But Lord, we, we, we don't want to live that way. That really isn't the nature and the heart of the gospel. The nature and the heart of the gospel is that somebody had an advantage named Jesus Christ. And he 
didn't hold on to those advantages. He gave them to us. He, he put us on equal footing in a relationship with God where we had no ability to have that relationship. He used his advantage to help all of us in this room who were horribly disadvantaged, riddled with sin, burdened, broken, weak. And we were once useless enemies of the gospel. And now we're all Onismuses. In Christ Jesus, we're now useful for the kingdom of God. Thank you for your blessing, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. And we say, Amen and Amen. I'm going to invite our worship team. You can contact the church office Tuesday through Thursday from 9 to 5 and Fridays from 9 to 3 at 503-266-4444. Please visit us on the web anytime at canbefoursquare.com. Pastor Ron and others on New Life staff, along with occasional guest speakers, trust that the Holy Spirit will use the message to teach you, encourage you, and give you hope.